Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. How good was the rain yesterday? Um, I don't know at what point in life that you start talking about the weather, but it happens at some point, doesn't it? Um, And, uh, you know, I can never remember as a child talking about the weather or even as a teenager, but I do now. And um, maybe it's my line of work. I talk to lots of people during the day and the weather comes up a lot. But um, if you ever want to... I talk to a lot of farmers through my work. If you ever want to impress a farmer, learn to talk about rainfall. (laughs) Does anyone um, know the points system with rainfall? Can I have a show of hands? Yeah, just a few. So you're going to get something out of this. (laughs) Um, So you're really going to be able to impress a farmer next time you come across them. So the way farmers like to talk about rainfall is 100 points of rain is equal to an inch. Okay, pretty straightforward. But they love it when you talk like that. So, um, you know, so in my line of work, I'll have a farmer come in and, you know, and you just drop little things in like this. Oh, we had a, had a good 50 points of rain. And you just do the sums in your mind and then you just say, you know, yeah, that, that 12 and a half mils of rain was really, really helpful. And they'll just stop and they'll look at you. And their opinion of you just rises straight away. And, uh, and then, you know, you can, you can just drop that in conversation all the time. But um, yesterday, I was just thinking about the rain and, and I've been talking to people about the weather and farmers and we're, we're going into a really dry summer and most of you would be aware, you know, the, the grass is browning off already and it's only November and, and you can tell that things are getting dry. And when it was raining yesterday, I just had a... a, a a fresh appreciation for God's faithfulness and his mercy on us. Because it doesn't have to rain. You know, we expect, well, it's got to rain eventually, but every time it rains, that's a sign of God's mercy and his faithfulness towards us. Because if God can make the sun stand still for 24 hours, and if he can make it rain 40 days and 40 nights, he can make it stop raining if he wants to. And... As you see the landscape start to suffer without rain, um, it just made me think, wow, God is so good to us, um, even when we don't deserve it. Um, all the good things that rain brings for us, and, and he continues to send it. So next time it rains, just be thankful to God for that. Let me pray. Father, I just pray this morning, um, Lord, that... Um, I've prepared something this morning, Lord, and I just pray now that you would take hold of that and that you would just direct my mind, Lord, and the words that come out of my mouth. Lord, I pray that it would um, be what you want me to say and I pray that it would bless those that are here and that it would just play a part in your master plan, Lord. Uh, So I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, it's working. 
The title of my message is God Wants You. It was actually called something different. And um, yesterday, Sarah and Caleb were in the kitchen and I said, um, oh, I'm going to call my message this. And if you ever want honest feedback, ask your family. And so I said, this is what I'm going to call it. And they said, that's horrible. That's terrible. You need to change it. So I'm not going to tell you what I had called it. But now it's called God Wants You. But God wants you. And um, no one in this room is exempt from that. In some way, God wants you. He has a master plan and we are just a part of that. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing to think that God has this master plan for this whole entire world and we have a role to play in that. So God wants you. And I want to talk about an example in the Old Testament of a guy called Gideon. And some of you would be familiar with his story, some of you may not. But I want to take you through Judges chapter 6. And I want to unpack a little bit in this chapter Gideon's journey with God. Because I think it's so closely can relate to the journey that we can go through with God. So, let's start Judges chapter 6 verses 1 to 10. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. If anyone's familiar with the Old Testament, this is a common, common story for Israel. And when you read the Old Old Testament, you think, Israel, when are you actually going to get it? That when you, it's really, really simple. When you do what God asks you to do and serve Him only, you have peace and prosperity. And we see it through the kings. They had kings that served God and they had kings that did not serve God. When they turned their back on God, then enemies, uh, the Lord allowed their enemies to overrun them. And this was another situation for Israel. And we can sit back and look through the Old Testament and say, Israel, when are you actually going to work out the pattern? Until we actually should sit back and look at our own lives and realise often there's a very, very similar pattern in our own lives. 
There are times in our lives where we're doing exactly what God wants. We're making good decisions for our lives. We're basing our decisions on what God wants for us. And things tend to go well, don't they? And then we make poor decisions and we turn our back on God in certain areas. And we do the things that God doesn't want us to do. And suddenly things start to go pear-shaped for us. We are no different to Israel. We continue to do the same thing. So Israel is in this situation and it is cruel. They're starving. They have their enemies coming in and destroying the land and taking all their crops and livestock so they have nothing to eat. So if we move on into verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiza. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So here we have a picture of Gideon. And he has accepted the situation they're in. He is threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press because he's planning to hide that from the Midianites. So in this situation, Gideon, is he's submitted himself to the situation they're in. I just have to survive here. I've got to hide some food so that when the Midianites come, I know they're going to overrun us, but hopefully if I can hide some food, then maybe they won't find it and then we'll have something to eat when they clear off again and we come back from our hiding place. Not dissimilar to us at times in life. When do we have moments in life where we submit ourselves to our circumstances? Where, we, where something isn't right in our lives or something isn't right in our community or something isn't right in our nation. And we just accept it and say, well, we've just got to survive. We've got to do the best we can to survive. Or if it's in your own life, I can't change that. I've just got to put up with it and do the best that I can. Well, this is where Gideon's at at the moment. He is in survival mode. So in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, thinking about what Gideon's doing at the moment, hero doesn't come to mind. He's preparing himself to hide some food so that when the Midianites come, he can go and hide in a cave, in a stronghold somewhere, hope they don't find that food so that when they go, he can come out of his hiding place and hopefully there's some food there for him to eat. To me, that doesn't sound like a hero. But that's what God says to Gideon. He says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And there is a great lesson in that for us. That God is not necessary. God doesn't look at where you are at now. He is always looking at the potential that is in you. Always. Because you see, God wasn't looking at Gideon there in his state of submission to the enemy. 
He was looking at Gideon saying, there's a hero there and that's how I'm going to refer to you. God will always look through our circumstances and he will always look for the best in us. So verse 13, Gideon replies, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. So we're in a tough situation and we get challenged. It's like, you know what? You don't have to put up with this. What's human nature go to, number one? Well, it's right here. Blame somebody else. Now, in this situation, Gideon blames God. He says, well, where is God? You know, we, we hear about how he saved us from Egypt and brought us up out of this land and gave us this promised land. Where is he now? This is his fault. We're only in this situation because God has abandoned us. And that might be your go-to in life when things aren't quite going the way you want them to go. To go. Well, it's not my fault. God just hasn't turned up in this situation. Or is it not God that you blame? Is it somebody else? Is somebody else the reason for your situation? Is somebody else the reason for our, what's going wrong in our community, in our nation, in our world? Who can we blame? That's human nature. That's what we do. It's no surprise to God. Because Gideon complains and points the finger at God. But what does God say? Well, the Lord turned to him in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. See, God had every reason there to give Gideon a good dose of reality. And the reality is, uh -uh, Gideon, don't blame me. The reason you're in this situation is because of your choices and your actions. And I reckon 99% of the time in our lives, our bad situations come about because we made a mistake. Do I have an amen? It's a hard amen, isn't it? But it's true. Most of the time, it's because we didn't follow God's plan for our lives. But we don't want to own up to that. And here, God could have just said to Gideon, you know what, this is not my fault. I gave you clear instructions. It was pretty simple. Don't serve other gods. And what did you do? You went and served other gods. Why do you expect anything different, Gideon? But you know what? God doesn't treat him that way. God actually says to Gideon, go with the strength you have. He reaffirms to Gideon that he has a strength inside of him that he doesn't even know he's got. And when we do that with God, when we make excuses, God doesn't turn around and say, well, you're in the situation because it's your fault. God's always looking to build us up. He's always looking to encourage us. 
and, and just point us away and say, no, 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 don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that there is a strength in you that you don't know is there. So verse 15. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. So here we have human nature go to number two. So first go to, blame someone else. That's what we do. Then if that doesn't work, if, if there's no one to blame, the second thing is to say, well, I can't help it. I'm not good enough. I don't have the resources. I'm the weakest of the whole tribe. I'm the least in my whole family. How many times do we do that? How many times do we use our natural circumstances that are around us to make an excuse for why we can't do something? It's human nature. Because human nature is to focus on what is right in front of us, what we can see with our own eyes right in front of us. But God doesn't want us to do that. Because in verse 16, the Lord says, says to him, so Gideon's pushing it a little bit here now. He's, he's throwing a few excuses at God. But the Lord says to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now remember back in verses 1 to 10, they came like locusts. So the Israelites have seen, I'm picturing thousands, tens of thousands coming as armies to destroy their land and God says you can defeat them as if you're fighting one man see God wants us to lift our eyes and see things through his perspective we in our human nature we want to see things through our own perspective and how hard things are and it's not easy but God wants us to lift our eyes He's saying to Gideon, lift your eyes. I will be with you. You're going to destroy the Midianites. He's saying, when I am with you, you can defeat a whole army as one man. So God basically doesn't let us get away with excuses. Can I have an amen? We will use them with God and God is patient with us and he is faithful with us. But God is not going to let you use excuses with him. So you'd save a lot of time if you, didn't use, if you didn't use excuses with God. But here's the thing. We're all on a journey with God. And Gideon is on a journey here with God. And God's taking him through this process. He's unpacking things with God. He's letting Gideon use a few excuses, but he's not letting him get away with it. So verses 17 to 18. So Gideon's had a few, he's tried a couple of excuses. They haven't really worked. God's got an answer for those. So he's like, okay, let's see how else I can get out of this. So Gideon replies and said, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. So he, the angel, answered, I will stay here until you return. So now Gideon says, well, I need to test you. 
I'm out of excuses. Okay, so you want me to do this thing, then I need to test you. And testing God, people can have different perceptions of that. So we think back to when Jesus was being tested by the devil. And, you know, when Jesus was standing um, up on top of the temple and, and Satan says, cast yourself down and, you know, the angels will protect you and you won't even, uh, you will not hurt yourself. And, and Jesus says, do not test the Lord your God. And so we often think, well, we're not to test God. But in that example, Satan's asking Jesus, he's testing Jesus about who he is. And we are not ever to test God on who he is. We are to trust who he is. We are to trust his faithfulness. We are to trust his character. We are to trust his love. We're never to test God on who he is. But it's okay to test God in terms of how we're hearing God. That's totally fine. And here, Gideon's saying, well... I need to really know that this is what you're asking me to do. And in our lives, sometimes we can be in that situation where we think God is asking us to do something. But is it actually, are we actually hearing God clearly? And there's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, look, I need you to confirm this with me. I need you to, to show me clearly that this is what you want me to do. So in verses 19 to 24... Gideon hurried home, he took a young goat and with a basket of flour he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realised that, that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abizah to this day. So we're in a situation now where Gideon has gone from a place of hopelessness and fear to beginning to believe that God is wanting to use him for something big. So Gideon is getting ready. He's like, okay, I think this is getting real now. I think I'm actually talking to God. He's basically dealt with all of my excuses and he's proved that he is who he is and that he really wants me to do this thing. So what's the first thing? So we've got through all the excuses, all the doubt, and we're like, okay, God, you really want me to do this thing. So what is the first thing that God asked Gideon to do when Gideon's like, okay, God, you want to use me? I'm here and let's do this. Verse 25 and 26. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. 
Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. So here's where it gets tough. If it hasn't got tough already. The first thing that God asks of Gideon is to destroy the altar to the false god. Because here's the thing. When God wants to use us, he will not compete with other gods. And I personally think these are the hardest two verses in this whole chapter. Because this is when it really cuts deep. Because if we are all honest with ourselves, there can be false gods in our lives. And for everyone it's different. But if you are honest with yourself, there can be false gods in your life. What is a false god? It's something in your life that takes the place of God. Simple as that. What is it in your life that at times takes the place of God? Is a higher priority in your life than what God is? If God's going to use you and you get to that place where you're like, yes, God, this is what you want me to do in my life. I'm committed. I'm ready to do this. The first thing God is going to do is get you to destroy the false gods in your life. It's the first thing he's going to ask. So be prepared for it. If you're honest with God, he's going to shine a light in your life and he's going to say, that's got to go. That's an altar and it's not to me. And that other thing in your life, that's got to go. That's a false God. You worship that thing. And that's when it gets tough. Because you worship it, because you like it. God's going to ask you to pay a price. And he's asking Gideon right now, I need you to pay this price. I need you to destroy that altar and I want you to build one for me. So what does Gideon do? Verse 27, he's obedient. Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Praise God, Gideon was willing to do it. But you know what? He's not there fully yet. He did it at night because he was afraid. Fear. It's fairly real, isn't it? When you feel it. Not easy to deal with, fear. Crippling at times, fear. Here's the thing. Fear is a normal part of following God, unfortunately. If you want to follow God, there are going to be situations where you are going to feel fearful. Why? Why? Because generally when God asks you to do something, 
it's highly likely it's going to be unpopular with a lot of people. Because whether we like it or not, Christianity is a minority in this country. But here's the encouraging bit. Fear doesn't make you redundant to God's plans. And you've got to take encouragement out of that. Just because Gideon did it at night time because he was afraid of his father's household didn't negate the fact that he went and did it. And he was obedient to God. And God acknowledged his obedience, even though there was some fear there. God knows our weaknesses. Rather than make us disqualified, God just wants to reveal himself for our weaknesses. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 12 verses 7 to 10? So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged to the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. And in the insults, hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The New King James Version says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. How encouraging is that? And fear is just a weakness. And it's okay to have because God's saying, Great. If you're fearful... If you're feeling weak, great. Because my strength is made perfect in that weakness. When there's something in your life, you just cannot overcome it. Great. Because you're weak. And God's strength will be made perfect in that. Because who can you give the glory to when you struggle with something in your life for years and years and years and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and bang. God's strength is made perfect in your life and suddenly you're set free from something you did not have the capability to be set free from yourself. That's God's strength made perfect. When you can stand up and be bold about something, stand up for truth. That's not you, you're timid. You're shy. You're fearful. But God's strength is made perfect in that moment. Who do you give glory to? You don't take the glory because it wasn't you. And you know it. Deep in yourself, you know it. That wasn't me. That was God. And in your heart, that's what protects us from becoming proud. Because in our hearts, we know that wasn't me. I can't take glory for that. That was God. That was his strength made perfect in me. That was just my weakness on show. And how great was God? Verses 28 to 35. So Gideon snuck out in the dark. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. 
Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jeroboam, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Verse 33, soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms and the men of the clan of Ibiza came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali, summoning their warriors and all of them responded. One key thing in here, then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. For God to show his strength in us, it has to be the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, we're not to do anything for God without his Holy Spirit. Never try and do anything in your own strength, but, remu- but rather just submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and allow him to do his work through us. I really, really want to encourage you with the Encounter Plus that was talked about before, where Pete's really going to share about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just, if you haven't experienced it, If you don't know much about the Holy Spirit, go and find out. Go and find out. Don't let theological hurdles hold you back. Just go to God and say, God, I want everything. I want everything. If you've got something for me, I want it. Because it'll change your life. What were the disciples like after Jesus rose from the dead and went back? To heaven. I mean, they've seen Jesus alive. That you'd be thinking, you'd be feeling pretty confident. Jesus is raised from the dead. It says in Acts they were hiding after Jesus rose from the dead. They were behind closed doors. What changed the disciples from hiding to saving three thousand people in one day? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of it. Get along to Encounter Plus if you don't know much about it and open yourself up to God and say, God, I want it. Because here, Gideon blew the ram's horn after the Holy Spirit's power came upon him. And suddenly it draws people together and God's army comes together. Verses 36 to 40. And I'll ask the team to come back up. Then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. 
let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Things are starting to get serious for Gideon. So the enemies have now joined an alliance. So we are talking thousands upon ten thousands in an army and they've crossed the Jordan. They're coming. Things are getting real. And Gideon's like, uh, God, you, I just really need to make sure right now. And God says, no worries. I'm happy to do that. See, this is a relationship that we have with God. And it's okay, even after everything, if you're still not sure, it's okay just to go to God and say, I'm still not quite sure. Are you sure you've got the right person? I mean, yes, an angel consumed a sacrifice with a, the end of a staff. I mean, can you imagine seeing that? So Gideon has seen that and he's still like, oh, I'm not sure, God. I'm just not sure. God has amazing patience with us, church. He knows that we're human. He knows that we're going to doubt. He knows we're going to be fearful and He's just going to meet us in that. And He's like, you want me to confirm it for you again? I will. Have a wet fleece on a dry ground. Have a wet ground and a dry fleece. No problems. I'll do that. Two more nights. What's two more nights? And then the rest is history. Gideon went on to defeat an entire army of tens upon tens of thousands with 300 men. But here's the thing. I mean, if you read on in the next chapters, Gideon started with 32,000 in his army. And God says, well, ask anyone who's afraid to go home. Now, you'd be hopeful, wouldn't you? I mean, these are men of war. I'd be hopeful if I had 32,000, oh, I might lose 10%. That's what I'd be hoping for. 22,000 go home. And Gideon's like, I've got 10,000. I've only got 10,000. And then God says, you've still got too many. Now, if this is Gideon back sitting under that tree, hiding wheat in a wine press, he's going home. I'm sure of it. He's going home. He's like, nah, sorry, God, not doing this for 10,000. And, and God says, go down to the water, get them to drink from the water. I can't quite remember, but it was either right or left hand. If they drink with the right, I think they, he kept them. If they drank with their left, they went home or vice versa. You can correct me when you read it later. Now, I reckon, so out of those 10,000 left, 9,700 of them were drinking with the wrong hand. Now, if I'm Gideon and I'm walking along that river, I'm like, I got it wrong. God, you must have said that the left-handed ones are staying and the right are going home. I'm sure that's what you said. And God's like, uh-uh. They're drinking with their right hand, they stay. And you would be walking along, they're all drinking with their left hand. Until you walk 50 metres, oh, there's one drinking with their right hand and you walk a bit further they're all drinking with their left hand 
Oh, there's another one drinking with their right hand. God, are you serious? And 9,700 get up and go home and you're standing there with 300. This life is a journey. Gideon could have only coped with the reduction in that army because of the journey he'd been on with God to that point. And we've got to remember that. Gideon went from a place of just submitting himself to his circumstances and God took him through the excuses. He took him through the doubting. He took him through the testing. He allowed Gideon to test him. He took him through the fear of standing up for what was right. He took him through the process of destroying those false false gods. All that stuff brought him to this point. And you know what? There is no way Gideon would have went into into that battle with 300 people if he hadn't have been through that process. Let God take you through a process. So where are you this morning? Are you sitting under that tree of Ophrah, submitting yourself to your circumstances and saying, this is the best I've got. This is all I've got. I've got to put up with it. I've got to survive. Or are you making excuses with God at the moment? God, this is your fault I'm in this situation, not mine. What's their fault? Are you testing God at the moment? Are you saying, God, I'm not sure. Is this what you really want me to do? Keep praying. Keep testing God. He will show up for you. Or are you standing there with 300 men ready to take an army out? Wherever you are at, you are on a journey with God and God wants you. He wants you. He wants to use you in this master grand plan that He has for this world and you're going to play a part in it. Just as the worship team finish, we have prayer team here this morning. If you want prayer, if you just want to come up and pray, there'll be some people here to pray with you. If you want to unpack anything of what I've said this morning with a prayer team, feel free to come down and do that. There'll be someone here to pray with you. If you just want to say, God, you've spoken to me. I want you to use me. Where are you on that journey? You may not even know where you're on at that, in that journey. But that's okay too. God will show you. But I encourage you, it doesn't matter what age you are, God's got a plan for each one of us and He's not finished with any of us. Amen.